All right. Good morning, Rock Bible Church. It's good to be here. It's good to see you. I, I must admit, I'm a little excited today. I mean, and some of you are like, that's every Sunday, Scott. <laughs> I am kind of that way. Um, but I'm, I'm excited about the family meeting. And uh, if you can stick around for a few minutes afterwards and hang out, we'll, we'll give a few minutes for the, the riffraff to clear out and uh, go do their own thing. But the, the faithful, the proud that want to stay and you know, hear, hear about what we've been doing, um, those of weak constitution who have to go watch a game where they throw a ball and all that kind of stuff, you know, whatever. Uh, we'll pray for their salvation. Uh, but it'll be fun to just talk for a, for a few minutes and uh, present some stuff, answer some questions, and then go watch football. Amen? Very excited about that. And then, uh, as well, today marks the day of one of my most fun events in church. Can anybody guess? A new study. We're starting a new book. I was very, I was giddy this week, and I never used that word about myself. I never used that word giddy about myself. Hey, um, guys in the tech, our screen in the back's not working, and I have to see myself. I don't, um, just so that we know. Um, I don't know if that's affecting what's going on elsewhere. Anyways, uh, so I've been very excited about this new study that we're going we're gonna to go through. Um, I appreciate all the input. I asked a few weeks ago uh, for, some, for anybody who had a preference or wanted to hear about something or had insight or questions or any of that. Um, it was great to hear from zero of you. No, it really was, and that's not sarcasm. You know, you know what that's a statement of? We trust, we trust you. Pick it. Let's run. Let's go. So here we are. We're jumping back to the First Testament. I have had a little bit of a tradition of going First Testament, New Testament, First Testament, New Testament. What about the Old Testament? That's what we call First Testament. I was corrected by a seminary professor uh, one time. and said something about Old Testament, and they said, you mean the First Testament? And I was like... Yeah? Why do you say it that way? Because old makes it sound old, and first makes it retain some value, right? So I like to play that game. I still use the word Old Testament once in a while because, well, it has value regardless of innuendo. So uh, we're going to jump back in, and uh, as an intro, I want to um, set up where we are before we get into the book. Uh, because this book is a little bit different. It's going to start some uh, themes. It's continue some other themes. It's going to speak to things you just sang in great ways. Um, but in, in some traditions, what we're about to study follows the book of Judges. Some book orders, Jewish book order, early book order, prior to um, some of the councils getting us the Bible in the order that it's in now, had this book right after Judges. In fact, it was connected with the book of Kings. Um, in fact, it was meant to be just one huge book or four books. But in the book of Judges, prior to this, there's this phrase that we hear a couple times, and it's not a good one. And in those days... Israel had no king. And you see that a bunch of times. A few times, several times, you have another phrase that comes right after it. And in those days, Israel had no king, and every man did what was right in his own eyes. Now, let's poll the ladies. When men do things that are right in their own eyes, how's that go? Yeah, a universal answer right there. Okay, so ladies, you figured it out. Apparently, culture back then needed a book to explain that. Men aren't in charge. Amen? Wait, who's in charge then, Scott? We just asked a question. We're at church. What's the answer? God's in charge. It is the battle of this book. And there's some, some thematic things that we're going to get into later. There's a lot of chapters we're going to do this for a while. We're going to have some fun. There's a giant. There'll be a king. There'll be all kinds of craziness. War, rape, murder, lying, cheating, espionage, betrayal. It, it's like Hollywood. 
And yet Hollywood can never do it this well. Uh, because the reality of reality is as compelling, entertaining, and tragic as it gets. Amen? Amen. Now, we're going to have a little fun. You guys got that bumper ready? Almost. Here we go. Ladies and gentlemen, we give you 1 Samuel. Now, it was the beginning of a set of books, uh, the Samuels, the Kings, and the Chronicles, kind of meant to go together. Some overlap. In fact, you can find stories that are identical in some of these books more than once. Um, And they were connected together uh, for quite a bit until... um, well, as all good humans, we like to compartmentalize and break things up and put them into chapters and verses and give them numbers so then we can organize and then we can find things like memory verses, right? Makes it easier to make a bumper like that with some great verses. Weren't those great? I've been, are any of you fast enough readers that you got through the verses as they went through? I'm a super slow reader and I still got through them. So I think there's hope for us all. But Samuel starts... Any guesses who it's going to be about? Hey, Samuel, there's a good guess. And it's only going to be about Samuel for a little while. Because who's who's the book really about? It's really about God. That's the answer to every time you ask that question about any book in the Bible. What's Revelation about? What's Genesis about? What's Joshua about? Ephesians. Okay, I got it. We got it, right? Let's not do all 66 books or whatever, right? Let's just say we got it. Samuel starts in a bad time. Israel is not doing well. They've been running around doing their own thing to the point where people are dying, being murdered, they're being raped. I mean, it's crazy. And there's very few who acknowledge the Lord anymore. But we're going to meet one. What I love about the book of Samuel is it kind of starts with a lady. Let's see where it goes. And let's check out some of the themes. First Samuel chapter 1, verse 1. Here we go. As soon as... Is this a... There we go. And there was a man, certain man, of Ramathaim... Zophim, in the hill country of Ephraim, whose name was Elkanah. This is going to be dad. Ready? Elkanah. Everybody say Elkanah. Elkanah. All right. Son of Jeroham, son of Elihu, son of Tohu, son of Zuth, and Ephrathite. Now, if you want to know if those were pronounced correctly, this is no joke. Ask Jean McGrogan, the lady we just had up here. She knows this stuff. She's brilliant. Okay. Um, if you have questions for me, save them until after the football game. <laughs> That's a reference to the joke that Brent made. Uh, he had two wives. We're not going to get into that. This was a practice. This is descriptive rather than prescriptive. This is telling you what happened, not this is what's supposed to happen. We get that? And we'll get into polygamy Never. Get my point? Because I can argue that. We're just going to do it another time. This guy happens to have two wives. The name of one was Hannah. Wait, have we heard that name before? It's a great name. Some of my favorite people are named Hannah. Wait, Scott, you play favorites? Yes, I do. And if you don't know if you're one, sorry. You are. You just need to learn faster. Right? Everybody's a favorite. Uh, And the name of the other, Penina. Penina had children. Hannah had no children. 
Bum, bum, bum. We have our conflict, right? Who's going to be happy? And who's going to be sad? There we go. Let's find it out. This man used to go up year by year, Elkanah, that is, used to go up year by year from his city to worship and to sacrifice the Lord as of hosts at Shiloh, where the two sons of Eli, ooh, have we heard Eli before? We have. You know, it's kind of interesting. I know some people where the mom is named Hannah and the kid is named Eli. This has got to be their book, right? It's got to be their book. Uh, two sons of Eli, Hophni and Phinehas, were priests of the Lord, who was who was the head priest or chief priest? If there's the dad and two boys, who's the chief priest? Dad, right? You've heard of Eli, the priest? You're going to hear more about him coming up. Um, verse 4, on the day when Elkanah sacrificed, he would give portions to, to Penina, his wife, and to all her sons and daughters. But to Hannah, he gave a double portion. See, Hannah is supposed to be a favorite. Because he loved her, though the Lord had closed her womb. Her rival, who's her rival? Penina. Used to torment, provoke her grievously to irritate her because the Lord had closed her womb. Are we have, we have cat fighting already? Yeah, this is what happens when you don't have true leaders who are following the Lord. When God is not first, all kind of goofiness comes on, right? Little rivalries. Women bickering and chipping at each other, men fighting with each other, the whole thing, right? Here's these two women, can't get along. So it went on year by year, verse 7, as often as she went up to the house of the Lord, she used to provoke her. Penina used to provoke Hannah. Therefore Hannah wept and would not eat. Elkanah, her husband, said to her, Hannah, why do you weep? Why do you not eat? Why is your heart so sad? Am I not more to you than ten sons? He's saying, what's wrong? Okay, let's make two comments about this. All right, are we surprised that a guy hasn't figured out what the emotions of the woman he's with? Right? And <laughs> this one, this one's going to hurt a little bit, guys. Okay, put your guards up. Here's a guy making it about himself. Oops. Yeah, you're in torment. You're frustrated. You're emotional. You're, you're in conflict. And I'm going to make it about me. Aren't I enough? Aren't I more than sons? Right? No, it's not about you, Elkanah, moron. Is, it, is that going to make her feel better? No, every man did what was right in his own eyes. Right? Israel had no king. We got another guy still not figuring it out. Right? Does he say anything about God? Okay, that should be significant. Has God been mentioned? Not really, other than we, they went up to make sacrifice in Shiloh. Right? That should be significant in our minds. Like, when, when are we going to get God in the scene? Right? Uh, after they had eaten and drunk in Shiloh, that's where they were given the offering, Hannah rose. Now Eli the priest was sitting on the seat behind the doorpost of the temple of the Lord. So the boys are working, but the head priest is out taking a break. Right? Nothing wrong with this. She got up to leave. Why? Because she doesn't want to be around Penina no more, and her husband's out to lunch. She was deeply distressed, verse 10, prayed to the Lord and wept bitterly. I know that never happens to any of you, that kind of sadness. What do you want when you feel like that? You want comfort. You want help. Resolution, healing. Where's that come from? It comes from the Lord. Amen? When you're feeling like that, you want the Lord's favor. Who's she praying to? Ooh, have we just brought God into the scene? We kind of have. And all of a sudden, it's like, hey, God, I want to find favor with you. Uh, take out your outlines, flip it over to the back, and to, at the top it says First uh, Samuel chapter 1, and then what does it say? Finding God's favor. This is really about this story with Hannah. And any guesses if it's going to be thematic, if it's pretty much the first thing they talk about in this book? We're going to see men and women throughout this book, kings, servants, and everything in between, trying to figure out how do I find the Lord's favor? 
Now, does that apply to any of us? Everybody raise your hand. This is an interactive portion of the morning. All hands up. I'm not going to keep going until I see all the hands up. Okay, good. We all want the Lord's favor. And that's what she's doing. She's weeping. She's, she's <laughs> bitterly. <laughs> she was deeply distressed. And she vowed, verse 11, she vowed a vow and said, O Lord of hosts, if you will indeed look on the affliction of your servant and remember me and not forget your servant, but you will give to your servant a what? You say, make me feel better. And I says, I want something specific. I have to add a little side note. When you pray... Do you pray specifically? I, I didn't used to, but I will now, Scott. <laughs> right? Good. Um, then I will give to him, I will give him to the Lord all the days of his life, and no razor shall touch his head. Oh, wow. Interesting and weird. Wait, we can't shave? Have you ever seen a guy who hasn't shaved for a long time? An unshaven man, right? What's the first thing you want him to do? Shave. This is weird. What's this about? Well, Scott, I have no idea. Good. Here's what it's about. Do you remember the book I said that precedes this in many traditions? What was it called? Judges. There's a story in the book of Judges. And most of the stories are really, really bad because in those days, Israel had no king and every man did what was right in his own eyes. And then it comes one little story. In fact, I told men's ministry to look it up and read it this week. It's the first time we gave homework to men's ministry. I'm hoping it didn't kill our men's ministry to give them one task. We'll see how it goes. I'll get back to you, right? This one story shows up and we get one guy who bumbles and mumbles and uh, mistakes his way through pursuit of righteousness and trying to find the Lord's favor. And it kind of works. In fact, his name is very similar to Samuel. Like if he was the son of Sam, you would call him Samson. Samson. You remember that story? You know what's true about Samson? Very similar storyline. Somebody wants to have a kid and they dedicate him to the Lord and no razor shall touch him. So never use a razor. What's that about? He will stay natural the way God made him, maybe. I can't fully attest to that. But this reference is meant to be a reference to maybe one of the only righteous stories in the book of Judges. Say, look, we want to pursue God the best we can. I want something like Samson for my son. Which, by the way, does she have yet? No. no? This is just a promise, a vow, a covenant she's making with God. Any guesses on how this goes? Any guesses on what his name's going to be? Hey, there you go. I love church. Um, she continued to pray to the Lord. Verse 12, Eli observed her mouth. Hannah was speaking in her heart, but only her lips moved. And her voice was not heard. Therefore, Eli took her for a drunken woman. <laughs> Safe mistake. I mean, it's understandable. And Eli said to her, how long will you go on being drunk? Put your wine away from you. Right? Men bossing around women. You never know what's really going on. Right? No bossing. Verse 15. But Hannah answered, no, my Lord, I am a woman troubled in spirit. I have drunk neither wine nor strong drink, but I have been pouring out my soul before the Lord. Who's about the most perfect person to say that to? The head priest, the chief priest? All of a sudden, Hannah's in a conversation with the guy. Verse 16, she says, Do not regard your servant as a worthless woman, for all along I've been speaking out of my great anxiety and vexation. Um, when you're vexed and anxious, apparently what are you supposed to do by the example of Hannah? Pray. Pray? Pray how? I just said it earlier. I asked you if you do it. Specifically? Right? Eli answered, verse 17, go in peace. And the God of Israel grant your petition 
that you have made to him. Bam. Eli, making sure we bring God into it, praying to God for her, uh, comforting. Is this how it's supposed to work? We're starting to head maybe the right direction. Verse 18, and she said, let your servant find favor in your eyes. What's she saying? She wants Eli's favor? Whose favor does she want? Look at the top of your outline. What's she asking for? Says, let me find favor, right? Let me find God's favor. Now, I've told you over and over again, I don't make up these titles. I steal them straight out of Scripture. Right? Now you know where this one came from. Right? The woman went away and ate, and her face was no longer sad. What's that a statement about? Just felt better? Hopeful. What would you need in order to have hope in this scenario? Faith. She believes. God's going to do something. She's at the temple, synagogue. Uh, she's talked to the chief priest. Everything's kind of, she's prayed. And is she walking by faith now? That's an example. Pretty hard for her to do. She's lived her whole life unable to bear kids. Now she thinks she's all of a sudden going to have kids. Why is that? Why is that? Because she asked and believed, and because it's happened before. This is not the first time, not even the second time or third time, where women in Scripture were barren, prayed to God, and then, oh, goodness, I'm pregnant. Right? Which I, in biology class, I thought babies came from something else, right? There's a biology thing. Apparently, babies come from God. Amen? And he, he, he um, originated ultrasounds, by the way. By, he could tell the gender before they were even conceived. I love that, which I use as an argument for if you want to do an ultrasound, find out the gender, you might as well, because God's been doing it for all generations. Yeah? She's no longer sad. Verse 19, they rose early in the morning and worshiped before the Lord. Then they went back to their house in Ramah. Elkanah knew Hannah, his wife, and the Lord remembered her. And in due time, Hannah conceived and bore a son. And she called his name Samuel. Now we get the title of the book. Now, uh, I want to clarify. Samuel's not necessarily the author of the book, which is a mistake some people make. In fact, we're not really sure the author of the book. Tradition goes back so far, pretty hard. And the author never names himself. We kind of get that through these next six books. First, second Samuel, first, second Kings, first, second Chronicles. Eh, some would say Solomon. Da, da. There's good arguments, but we're, we're not going to land on any of them. We're not going to argue about any of them. Amen? This is just, hey, first primary character, maybe, is Samuel. That's what we'll call the book. That's all it is. Don't put any more into it. All right? Um, uh, named him Samuel for, she said, I have asked for him from the Lord. The man Elkanah and all his house went up to offer to the Lord the yearly sacrifice and to pay his vow. But Hannah did not go up. <gasps> What's going on here? For she said to her husband, as soon as the child is weaned, I will bring him so that he may appear in the presence of the Lord and dwell there. How long? Forever. Forever. Is she planning on keeping her vow? Remember, if you give me a son, I'll dedicate to him, to the Lord. Elkanah, her husband, said to her, uh, Do what seems best to you. Wait until you have weaned him. Only may the Lord establish his word. Ooh. What's happening with Elkanah? He's um, like, maybe we got to do this Lord thing. Maybe we should pay attention to this God thing. Why is, why is he doing that? Most obvious. They've wanted a kid, a son, anything, and they finally got one? You think she told him how it happened? You know, Elkin, I know you think it's because we slept together, but we've doing, been doing that for years. The difference is, I talked to God. I talked to Eli. And I made a vow. You think that got Elkin's attention? 
when you follow the Lord, when you're obedient to the Lord, when you're dedicated to the Lord, when you talk about it and set an example, what's it do to other people? It starts to draw them in, right? It's like a tractor beam, right? So the woman remained and nursed her son until she weaned him. And when he had wean, uh, she had weaned him, she took him up with her, along with a three-year-old bull, an ephah of flour, and a skin of wine, and she brought him to the house of the Lord at Shiloh. What were those things? Why did she bring those things? Offering, sacrifices, right? And the child was young. Then they slaughtered the bull, and they brought the child to Eli, and she said, Oh, my Lord, as you live, my Lord, I am the woman who was standing here in your presence praying to the Lord. For this child I prayed, and the Lord granted me my petition that I made to him. Therefore, I have lent him to the Lord. Next slide. As long as he lives, he is lent to the Lord, and he worshiped the Lord there. May the Lord bless the reading of his word. Amen? Amen. Amen. Uh, this is the way it's supposed to work. And when the guys are knuckleheads, sometimes we need the women to show us how to do it. Amen? Ladies, don't say amen too loud. <laughs> All right? Careful. Is this about gender? Say no. This is about humanity. This is about, hey, you can do things that are right in your own eyes and kind of go in your own direction, and where do they all lead? There's another verse that says, uh, there's a way that seems right to a man, and its end leads to destruction. It's a constant theme that goes throughout Scripture. Uh, what are we supposed to do? We're supposed to pursue the Lord, right? Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge Him, and He will make your path straight yeah who said that say david say david right it's a psalm which i think is the way you should say psalms but um what was david he was king i thought and in those days israel had no king and every man did what was right where does david come from he comes from when they started getting kings what's the next set of books after first and second samuel kings where do kings come from Ooh, cliffhanger you'll have to show up in the weeks to come and find out how we go from no king to all of a sudden there's a king what's that process how do the people take that what's god think what are the results what led up to it this is one of the things that led up to it people not following the Lord. And then when somebody, one person, a barren woman says, I'm going to try. Who shows up? Say God. Do you show up small? He says, no, bam, son, we're going to have some fun. Eli is in the temple now with, with Samuel. And you're going to get to hear what that story is about. It's amazing. Because one person said, I want to find favor with God. Now, so sad that you can't do that. That's sarcasm, folks. Can you find favor with God? Can you ask for favor with God? Can you petition him in a vexed, anxious way and pray specifically, and he'll show up in ways as big as he showed up for Hannah? Say yes. Great. How do we do this? Because you sang today, right? Your grace holds me now. Did you sing that? Yeah? I'm pretty sure I heard you. You sounded good. How do you get to the place where God's grace holds you? Go read your Bible and pray. Go to church and listen to the pastor. No. You pursue the Lord. You trust in the Lord with all your heart. You look for his favor. And that's how you get his grace. Now, I've said this many times. You got to give me some action items or I'm out. I'm going to go drive a, a forklift at Costco, right? That sounds fun to me. If I don't know how to do God, I do know how to move pallets. So when we say finding God's favor, what do we do? Let's jump in. 
Number one, finding God's favor requires this. Uh, give us the first one. Ding, ding. Perspective. Take some perspective. Right? Hannah, have some perspective. Please tell me more than one person can answer. People at home watching on the thing, yell out right now, yes. Okay, we couldn't hear you, but more of you answered that than in this room just now. Scott's getting grumpy. No, I'm getting excited. Folks, did Hannah have a perspective? Everyone has a perspective. It's either right or wrong, good or bad, evil or holy. Here's the great news. News flash. Do you get to choose your perspective? (gasps) Really? Because for a year and a half, I've struggled with this. Picking my perspective. God, where the heck are you? Because it's been piling up in our family. I want to use public school phrases to describe it, and I won't. Because I'm trying to set my perspective. Who's in charge? Is this really as bad as it looks? Could it get better? Am I redeemable? Am I so broken that fill in the blank? What about that relationship or this job or whatever resource? How many questions can you ask that affect your perspective? All of them. And yet I get this barren woman story walking in with probably, I would say, bigger problems than I've ever had. And she says, no, going to trust in the Lord. going to find his favor. These knuckleheads are giving me a hard time. Uh, He's making it about himself. I'm going to go outside and pray. I'm not even going to pray inside the synagogue. I'm going to go outside and pray to pursue the Lord. Does God honor that? How? He puts the chief priest right there. Now he's a little knucklehead-ish too, right? He thinks he's drunk. But what happens when you change your perspective? How do you view affliction? Because she said, I'm afflicted. There's a verse up there. Any guesses? It's probably six and seven. She talks about in her affliction. How do you view affliction? When it goes the other way. What's the other way? (laughs) Not your way. (laughs) How do you view that? Oh, it's just different. We'll be fine. Or, oh no, the sky's falling. We're all going to die. This is terrible. God must not be real. If he is real, he doesn't like me. Or if he doesn't like me, he likes me, but he's just hands off and doesn't do anything. I mean, he's there, but I mean. Or do you believe there's a bigger plan? Is your perspective that God is alive and well, still working, has plans for you, and he's waiting for you to get off your tush? It's the first time I've ever said tush in church. I know Julie's freaking out right now. Oh no, someone's going to leave. You know, uh, generations later, brilliant guy is going to walk on the scene totally against uh, Jesus Christ, and God's going to grab him, shake him, flip him up, land him on his head, then put him upright and say, how about you write 13 books of the New Testament for us? You know what he says about affliction? Can we go back to the first one? He says, it's light and momentary. Whatever you're going through, It's light and momentary affliction. I love that. I'm reading through this first chapter, the first few verses, and it says affliction, and it clicks in my head. Scott, you haven't had a bad year and a half. You've just had light and momentary affliction. (laughs) Now, is that what it felt like? No, that's not what it feels like when people die, when people get sick, when people fail, when people leave. 
But I, my, I get to choose my perspective. And I absolutely love it. We're going to have a meeting today after church. We're going to call it family meeting. What's a family meeting? Oh, that's when we, we talk about the state of the church. What state is the church in? I'll tell you right now, California. There's only one person that can tell you the state of the church. Thank you. Who said that? Scott? You're in charge from now on. <laughs> um, no, today we're going to set perspective. Amen? Now, I'm not going to go and look at all of the places, but I'm going to ask you a question now, and you're going to go, wait a minute, I don't know. What's her name? You know that one, right? This is set up. What's her name? Hannah, right? She's sitting right back there. Her name's Hannah. And yet, Hannah never calls herself Hannah. And she never says me or my. She's got all her pronouns wrong. She's forgotten her name. At some point, I want you to go back and I want you to look. Because she says it no less than five times. You know what she calls herself? She says, your servant? I am so excited how many of you got that right. When she prays to God, she calls herself your servant. If you would look on your servant, if you would remember your servant. When she talks to Eli, what's she call herself? Your servant? What's her perspective of self? I'm here to serve. There are things outside of me going on. That's the hardest thing for me to understand as Scott Berglund. I remember sitting in church, First Presbyterian Church of Berkeley. God bless that place. Still alive and well. I remember standing there, worshiping, with my mom on one side and my dad on the other. I'm in the center. I was thinking about that. My perspective, that was my perspective. I'm in the middle. It's all centered around me. They're teaching me how to sing during worship. And, da, da, da. and I, I kind of was thinking about this. I have viewed my family of origin as centered around who? Me. I'm the firstborn. The best. The tallest. Let's stop there. <laughs> right? How much of it is true? No, only one thing. I am the tallest. And I'm the firstborn. I guess there's two things, right? Other than that, I have to learn that there's things outside of me, greater than me, equal to me, like Fred. Fred's value and my value, where do they stand? Same. Loved by God. So am I above him? Am I below him? But there is other people outside, and all of them are as valuable as I And I have to learn that perspective. I'm a servant to God and I'm a servant to other people. Why? Because he deemed it so. As soon as you get that perspective, you'll be fine. In fact, when you have that perspective and you pray, apparently great things happen. It will change your view of, per of affliction. If you view yourself as a servant, now you're not afflicted. You have an opportunity. Right? How great is that? Because now I am no longer in charge or responsible for the whole deal because I am no longer the pinnacle or the center. I'm simply on the team. I was cracking up. Uh, one of my buddies, Bryce, was uh, explaining to me, he was listening to a sports thing about that. Apparently there's a game today. And the two quarterbacks are going to be battling against each other. And they battled against each other in college and the whole thing. And the, today they're going to battle against each other again. And he was pointing out, well, actually, this quarterback never plays against this quarterback. He plays against their defense. And he plays against their defense. There's so many other things going on here than just these two guys. It's a great lesson from perspective. There always is a team around us. And who's always on that team? Your grace holds me now. 
grace holds me now. We have to have the perspective that he's always there. In the midst of a culture that has turned its back on God and a husband who thinks it's about him, this woman says, no, I will follow the Lord. That's worse than the culture you're in, folks. I don't care how bad you think it is. Amen? That's one. First thing you got to do is you got you to change your perspective, and especially of affliction and starts with S and rhymes with elf. Perspective of self. Okay, so add that in there, and you might should probably write down your servant. Put it in quotes, and then put X5. That means five times it was said there. Okay, second one, uh, prayers. We're, we're doing P words today. Perspective is first. Second one is prayers. You could have guessed that because it says several times in there that she prayed, vexed and anxious and the whole thing, um, which means anxious prayers. What do you need to do? You need to ask. And beyond the ask, what does she do? It says she vowed a vow. Says it twice. Why does it say it twice? Get your attention so you remember. And you're going to see this um, theme throughout the book of 1 Samuel and following the books that follow it. Because there's going to be things where it says such like, does the Lord require sacrifice or obedience? You have to do something about it. You have to say, yes, Lord, I want this specifically from you. And then ask the great question, and what are you willing to do about it? She says, you know, if you will, I want a son. And if you give me a son, I'll dedicate him to the Lord. Thing actually names him after God in some ways. We'll look into that next week. But you have to take some action. What are the actions that she takes? Just really quickly, she prays. She also goes up to the temple over and over in the spite of persecution from one of the closest people in her life, not emotionally, but proximity. In, the, in spite of how difficult that was and how much pain it caused her, she kept following the Lord in the way she could. She still talks to her husband, even though he's like, hey, isn't this about me and how great I am? Let's have a little grace for husbands, Amen. She continues to go. She continues to pray. This guy accuses her of being drunk. She says, nope, I'll engage with him too. When God comes through, she explains to her husband. She skips going to the temple to make sure he weans him and get him ready so that when he does go to the temple, he's healthy. And then she goes to the temple and she stands before Eli and says, remember me. Remember what I prayed. Remember God. Here he is. Any guesses on if this story is about to get awesome? Somebody please say, I don't know, it sounds pretty awesome already, Scott. Right? We've got to figure out what actions can we take. Why? Because we're to be anxious for nothing. This says that in the New Testament. Be anxious for nothing, but in everything, through prayer and supplication, some translations say, or petition both horrible words because <laughs> it's like what does that mean supplication how many p's is in that right um what do those words mean ask. they mean ask can't you just write ask when it means ask what do you got to use up these big words maybe so that we'll study it and really get into it through prayer and petition make your request what's that kind of assuming to draw attention to that you're asking for something be made known to God and the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding. That's funny, right? Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. That surpasses all understanding will guard your heart and your mind according to you? No, in Christ Jesus. Bam. When you can drop a request at the feet of the Lord, and say, I will do something about it as well, you can, get, you can start to give up anxiety, nerve, worry, haste, 
panic. Oh, you, you could just say, yours. Man, I'm glad that's over. Can you do that? Most of us can't because we panic. Oh no, so-and-so's leaving. Oh no, we're short on this. Oh no, we have too much water for four days. Oh no, this. Oh no, that. Oh no, right? Wah, 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 wah. And God's like, wait a minute. What? Why are you crying when you have me? Right? That's what Elkanah said. He tried to steal God's line. You need not worry about anything. Because God is God. And where is He? On His throne. How often? Always. What's He capable of? Everything. What's He know? All of it. Jeez, guys, it seems like you say that like every other week. Because how often does the Bible say it? Every day. Every verse. Right? We've got to take our anxious prayers to God and we've got to ask Him for things and then vow how we're going to follow through with it. Right? I will not give to the Lord that which costs me nothing. And then thirdly, uh, plans. Plans. She starts making plans to find the Lord's favor. She, uh, she uh, She owns her prayers with actions. You got to own it. How do you own it? You know, one of the easiest ways is to say it out loud. What do you mean, say it out loud? Well, tell someone. Hey, I've been praying for this. Will you pray for it also? That's a rough one. I don't know if I want to disclose everything, Scott. Great. Do you like your current condition? Is it heavy and ongoing affliction? Is it a major statement about you? It says nothing about you. Watch this one. I'm, we're going to do some mental theological gymnastics that is great. I'm going to absolve you of all guilt. Ready? God's in control of all things, yeah? If it happens, he made it happen. So who's responsible for it? And who's not responsible for it? There you go. You're absolved. How cool is that? If you have a condition, why? Because of God. I love that. Because God allowed it. Oh, he's passive like that, huh? Do we remember God being passive? Kind of anywhere? Weird. I'm, I'm trying to figure out how to say it differently than God allows bad things to happen. I'm trying to refine that bad into light and momentary. And I'm trying to change allows into plans. Or as one of my good buddies says, cooperates. Cooperates. And Mike check it just went out for a second, right? During that. Cooperate things. God cooperates things that are light and momentary. <gasps> Ooh. If you died I know, we're getting morbid. Uh, if you died right now, and you went to heaven, and as you're going in, you know, Peter's there, and you're like, yeah, everybody talks about Peter. <gasps> Hannah! What would Hannah's perspective be on this? The light and momentary, and the affliction, and do bad things happen to good people, and does God cause them, or does he allow them? What would she say? Well, geez, God, I've never met her. No idea what she would say. Okay. Let me venture an offering. She'd probably say something like, yeah, isn't it awesome? Why? She figured out the pattern. Perspective, prayer, and plan. With who? Okay, at the bottom of your outline, just in really big letters, Right, across the bottom, with God. All of those things, right? Because you can do all those things by yourself. And will it work? No. Your family meetings will be terrible in the future. Okay, all of them, church or actual family. Right? But when you're with God, His grace holds you. Now you know how to do what you're saying. Amen? Amen.
Let's pray. Lord, we thank you uh, for the hope we can have, like Hannah, regardless of our situation. When we feel like we want to define it as affliction, Lord, I pray you would help us to redefine it in the way you would. Pray, Lord, we would take away time and amount of pain and things like that as measurements and start using you as a measure, long-term as a measure, benefit and blessing to others as a measure, maybe our servitude and being your servant as a measure. How can I serve you in this rather than how can I complain about it? We thank you for all the actions that Hannah took. Pray that they would be an example to us. We are then reminded, Lord, even greater, the example that your son gave to us and all the actions he took in dedication and obedience to offer us your grace so that it can hold us. We thank you that the themes of the Bible are true, ongoing, throughout every generation. And if you're here this morning, you've never started that relationship. You've never said, okay, God, I'm in. I'm going to try this like one foot at a time. That, that could be your prayer. I want to take a step, Lord. I want to find your favor. And maybe you just say that to him this morning. Lord, I want to find your favor from this day forward. I accept you, your son. Help me in this process. If that's you, come, come talk to me afterwards. We thank you for all this, Lord. We thank you for the offering that we're about to receive that we can donate in just the back of the room. And we pray this in your son Jesus' name. Amen.